Hello and welcome everybody to a very special edition of the Celtic Way Sit Down. It's an almighty honour and a privilege for Sean Martin and my humble self to be appearing on the same podcast as this guy. We're excited beyond belief about our special guest. And this man needs no introduction to any Celtic supporter. However, I will do everything in my power to give him the big build-up and see if I can bring some success to the podcast today. As a player, this man's career was as distinguished as it gets. He won the Irish Cup with Distillery in 1970-71 before signing for Nottingham Forest and playing under the legendary football figure that was Brian Clough. And as not at Nottingham Forest, check this out for a CV, Sean. He won the First Division 1977-78, the League Cup 1977-78, 1978-79, the European Cup 1978-79, 79-80, the FA Charity Shield, 78, the European Super Cup in 1979, and the Anglo-Scottish Cup in 1976-77. He was also capped 64 times for Northern Ireland. He scored eight goals and he memorably played in a 1982 1-0 victory over the host nation Spain at the World Cup Finals. And he lifted two home championships, 79-80 and 1983-84. As a manager, he bossed Grantham Town, Shepshed Charterhouse, Wickham Wanderers, Norwich City, Leicester City, Celtic, Aston Villa, the Republic of Ireland and Nottingham Forest. But it was during his five-year spell at Parkhead between 2000 and 2005 that he won the hearts and minds of every Celtic supporter and Celtic faithful. He won the Scottish Premier League in 2000-2001, 2001-02, 2003-04. He won the Scottish Cup in 2001 and 2000, and he won in 2003-04, 2004-05. And he won a Scottish League Cup in 2000, 2001. And he also guided Celtic to their first European final in 33 years, where they sadly lost to Porto in the UEFA Cup final in Seville in 2003. This man, alongside John Robertson and Steve Walford, gave the Celtic supporters a treasure trove of wonderful memories along the way. We're internally grateful to you for that, Martin. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, give it up. Let's hear it for the one and only... Martin O'Neill. Now, Martin <laughs> O'Neill is here because he's written a book about his life in football called On Days Like These, and it's available in all your usual bookstores and online. So first and foremost, Martin, after that long introduction, welcome mm-hmm. to the Celtic Way podcast. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah. And thank you for agreeing to do this with us today. Mm-hmm. And my first question would be simply, why write a book and why write it now? Right, Okay. Well, in that in that build-up, you missed two more games. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Just have, just have a bit of fun. No, not at all. Um, uh, first of all, thank you very much for it. Uh, you know, uh, a long and laboured build-up, but nevertheless, it's uh, it, it, it's good. And um, right, uh, why 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 the book and why now? I suppose for first of all, in terms of why now. Why, why not? Maybe in terms of a career straddling 50 years, both as a player and as a manager, seems a fairly lengthy period of time. And, and, and obviously, you, don't want to, you, you want to do it while you're still on this earth. So it might, that, that, that might help. And, um, and, then to, and then doing it, yeah, I, I, I wrote it myself. Um, s- simply, Tony, I think really just to, to, to make it sound more authentic, to put it, you know, I, I was doing it in longhand, which I used to do my <laughs> way back in, in primary school and grammar school days. And um, so I was writing it out, doing it. And I felt when I was writing it out, it, 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 was, it, was, it was coming more alive rather than just uh, speaking into a machine or something like this here for me. So as I was writing it, at least I could uh, delete something, score it out, and, and and start again. Now it was a laboured approach, I must admit, but uh, nevertheless, it was uh, it was fine. It took me some months to do it, and I suppose if I'd known that COVID was going to last as long as it did, and who knows? And 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 I, I, I certainly. I certainly don't want to um, feel as if no, uh, no one has suffered from it. Loads and loads of people have done. Then perhaps maybe maybe at the start of it, rather than perhaps at the end of it, I might have done it. And uh, and but that's the nature of it. It's it's done now. And um, and I'm uh, you know uh, pleased pleased that uh, I've been able to put some some thoughts together and some little <laughs> anecdotes. How did you choose the name for it? 
I, well, it's a good point, Sean. I'll tell you exactly why I did. And it was, uh, it was my wife's choice because there's a film in the 19, by 1969, 1970, uh, long, long before you were born, my young man. Um, <laughs> and actually long before Tony was born as well, too. But it's, uh, uh, and there was a film called The Italian Job, Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. And the opening sequence is actually a, a, a singer, a singer in the 60s called Matt Monroe singing this song on Days Like These, which is mm-hmm. really, really nice song. And I thought well, it had a, had a sort of certain ring to it. My wife chose it and, uh, and thought it was, uh, it was a good title because on days like these could be good days, there could be really bad days. And uh, don't get me wrong, there are, there, there are plenty of bad days as well too. So, uh, so from that viewpoint, that's, that's, that, that was the reason for it. In the intro, Mark, I jokingly referred to the first sentence that you uttered to the Celtic supporters when you greeted them on the steps outside the, the glass, famous glass doors. You said you would do everything you possibly could to bring some success to the football club. At Celtic, that's where it all started for you in that moment, wasn't it? Because you, when when you hear that, there was a, a fan that shouted, that's all we ask, Martin. That's, absolutely, Tom. That, 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 is, that, is, that is true. And that's, that's really whatever you say about whatever sort of promises you're talking about, the only promise that you can really give is actually your utmost, your very, very best. And in, in recent, up until up until managing Celtic, I had had, I had managed, uh, I'd managed at a place called Wickham Wonders, uh, a bit of success there, which gave you confidence. Then I, I short period of time at Norwich, and then I go to Leicester City, where you know you can't win early on in proceedings, so you know the crowd become very restive, and actually, and actually, in fact, more than restive, you know, they actually. <laughs> Downright on a comedy thing, you know, in, in, in many aspects. But you you finally win the fans over there, and I thought, well, the last thing I wanted to do was get off to the sort of start that I did it at at, at uh, Leicester. Otherwise, it might be a long way back. But really, what Leicester and and um, and leading up to that there had taught me is that you know you you put heart and soul into it. You 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 know prepare yourself as much as possible, get to know players as quickly as possible. All those particular things stand you in some decent stead. So I kind of, I th- you, you, nothing ever prepares you for going to, to Celtic. I mean it. And, and I assume <laughs> the same would feel uh, if you're a Rangers manager, nothing would prepare you for it. But as best you possibly can, I felt then that I could be equipped for that there. But if I'd realised, if I'd realised just how strong Rangers were, Maybe I just might have turned the car back again and uh, <laughs> headed back down into East Midlands. Um, you took over after a what could surely be called a pretty shambolic spell for the club under um, under John Barnes, Kenny Douglas's League Cup win notwithstanding. But what I was wondering was how, how do you go into that type of situation, not really knowing most of the players' personalities, and then turn it round just as quickly as what you did? Well, first of all, Sean, I, I was probably. One aspect, not not that you, not that as an old firm manager, you're getting an awful lot of time. You don't really, and I, I realised that pretty quickly. But I suppose you mentioned you mentioned that there there've been tough times at, at Celtic in the in the previous months, as you say, notwithstanding the the uh, the League Cup, and um, so you felt that okay, if if nothing else, you might you might get an you might get. A couple of months, um, what shall I say, to, to try and build the team. No, no, doesn't mean that you're going to lose a lot of matches. You don't do that there. But if, if, if that was the case, maybe you might earn a little bit of grace if you stay competitive. And I think that I think that, that was a, a sort of a, a semi-consolation in the back of my head, thinking of if that's the case. But when I get um, when uh, when we started to do some pre-season, I remember the likes of Henrik. Henrik was away with uh, Sweden at the time, probably wasn't completely fit when he was playing in those Euros, but just striving for fitness. Then Mark Viduka leaves the football club and uh, we um, we immediately turned the, the money over for, to, for Chris Sutton. And even though the thing I, I, I felt about Chris is that, and I I didn't mention this in the book to stop him from getting a big head, really, but he was an absolute... <laughs> landscape changer for us in every aspect. One, we're attracting a big player. Now, Mark Viduc was a very good player and goes on to prove himself at Leeds, but he didn't want to stay at the club. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, 
Um, Chris Sutton did want it. He wanted to come up. He wanted to get out of London. He'd been very successful at Blackburn. I was having a tough old time at, uh, at, um, at Chelsea, hence us getting him at a cut price fee. And his relationship both on and off the field with Henrik Larsson was absolutely crucial, particularly uh, in, in, in early months when, when it was important that we win football games. And his, I thought him, he coming into the football club at the time as early as he did, because if we'd waited a couple of months and we had no replacement at that stage for Mark Viduka, then that, that, that big 6-2 game against Rangers, which people seem to point to as a, as a real turning point, and I probably think so more now as I think about it probably was, then that may never have happened at all if, if Chris Sutton had not been at the football club. Martin, Celtic lost the league title to Rangers by 21 points the year before, and you came in, and one of the first things you said was that Dick Advocat's team were the benchmark. Now, was that psychology? Was it deliberate? Or were you just trying to lull people into a false sense of security? No, I, no, the, they absolutely were. No, no, this, was, this was not a, a, you know, a, just a, a sort of a false call. A, absolutely. And they, Tony, they really were strong. They were very yeah, strong. If, were. You look at, if you look at the players, my, my own view, and I... And I, I, I the, now that I uh, obviously was up there at the time, but but looking back on it now, and and I would include Walter Smith's team getting to the uh, UEFA Cup final in, in two thousand and eight or something. I would have thought that that side, that that Rangers side, was the strongest team as they've had in the last thirty years. Yeah. I think there's no question about that. There, they had great great players, European top quality goalkeeper, players all over the pitch, big and strong, led by young young lad Ferguson. And uh, but really, uh, really, really strong, and I think that that the 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 where we won, where we beat them six two. Not only was it fantastically exciting, it was really great, but it genuinely gave us confidence to go and and take on the rest of the season. And even though they 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 turned us over in in November time, you know, they we couldn't we couldn't defend one set piece at the end of it all. By that time, I think that we had enough confidence to withstand that loss and fight on. Mm-hmm. That, that was my next, leading into my next question, Martin. You won 6-2, the first uh, old firm experience, and then you lose 5-1 at Ibrox. It's the whole cheating triumph and disaster the same way, isn't it? How did you deal with both of them individually? Well, e- easier said than done, Tony. Right, OK. <laughs> because you, you, you treated the victory, you treated the victory with awe, oh, with, with um, every sort of accolade that was coming. And I could fact that... <laughs> I thought that I was okay. I was. I, I must be a really good manager if we can win that. <laughs> but then you get a real wake-up call in November time. So we go to Ibrox, mm-hmm. and really, it, that was that was an intimidating atmosphere. And I'm sure for Celtic, uh, for me, it was as intimidating as it was for Rangers away back in in August time. So, um, but no, a, a, a big wake-up call really. Well and truly beaten in the game, smashed, physically smashed, you know, really smashed, <laughs> yeah. and and not being able to compete properly, and it and and it was a it was a genuine concern. Even though I know that we had confidence from the run into that, but it was a genuine concern about it because uh, this is this is you know they were just they were just too powerful for us on the day, and you thought is this going to be a common occurrence, particularly at Ibrox? Is that and those sort of things worry you really do they concern you? Then a couple of days later we go we draw at Hibs and uh, against Tambernian Easter Road and a really a really cold um, a cold November evening leading into December time and that's so that's five points dropped in two games and you th- you start to think are, are the wheels just coming off are we not <laughs> you really do you know and you, you get all yeah. sorts of thoughts and and mostly negative thoughts running through your head you know so you have to sort of banish them again but then we, we, we come roaring back then and, and, and we're able to take it. And what was great about it is that every single week that Rangers might get a result, we seem to respond as well to, you know. And, and then suddenly I, I felt, I felt that, um, that Rangers then, I, I thought that Rangers lost the desire to chase us then. And, and, uh, and so we almost serenely wanted it towards the end, but it never, ever, ever felt like that, honestly, up until where, where we got to a stage where we were maybe about nine or ten points clear, you know? You win the treble in your first year, Martin. It's the first treble that Celtic wins since 69, since Jock Steen led them to that. I mean, your name was banded around with, with, with Jock Steen. How did that make you feel? You must have been so proud of, you know, coming in, 21 pounds, 
points behind the season before. You sweep the boards and you play a style of football that mm. you get the buy-in from the players, yeah. the fans, everybody. It's mm. just, it just seems like a, it's just a wonderful season. Well, I yes, it, it was terrific, Tony. There's no question about that. But uh, for anyone, for anyone to be to be uh, compared to Josh Dean in any <laughs> aspect, I think that I I I, I think that. Um, I think sometimes you might need your head examining. Um, <laughs> he was, yeah. The 1967 team, the first British side to win the European Cup, that's a phenomenal achievement yeah. considering, mm-hmm. considering what was happening throughout Europe at the time. Really, the Italians been so, so strong. English League then from having won the, from England having won the World Cup in 66, all these type of things. Manchester United just about to take it the next year. So what an achievement that was. And uh, and for for us to win to win a treble, you know, the number of years afterwards, I it, I I hadn't realised until I think probably the first time was that when when we won the when we won the league cup against uh, against Kilmarnock, and then we were going well clear in the league, and then you think it's a possibility of this being on, but not until that final whistle goes and the and and having uh, clinched the Scottish Cup do you realise? Listen, it's it's been done. So. Jock Steen is rightly immortalised. So is that 1967 team. And remarkably, do you know what's interesting? I've found out this year, but particularly since being up at Celtic, but I think it's really something that you would find really strange. Isn't it amazing that the 1970 team, even though they beat Leeds United in the semi-final, yeah. is never mentioned in the same yeah. breath as the 67 team. And that's it's been and, airbrushed, uh, hasn't it? From history, it's, that's it's almost airbrushed as well yep. because you're expected to win, aren't you? Celtic, yeah. Celtic's <laughs> performances <laughs> against Leeds United were extraordinarily brilliant, yeah. and then and fail against Feyenoord. So it seems to you know it's almost as almost as it's, if it never happened. And the irony about that, Martin, is that started Dutch dominance because I actually yeah. won it three years after three years in the spin after final win it, you know. So after final, that's correct. You're absolutely the year the era of, of uh, Johan Cruyff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, you it's know, amazing. So, so um, we'll try and stay away from that now at this minute. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, no, ter- terrific just to win the treble. Really, really great. I suppose it, it kind of does end up at the end of the 70s anyway. We'll talk about a uh, talk to me a bit about John Robertson, um, Martin and, and Steve Alford as well. Talking about the mm. uh, the role with you at Celtic. Most fans will think of you as a trio. Um, obviously, we use a figurehead, but certainly mm. the three of you are, are, are forever entwined. What was it that they brought to the party for you? And how well, important is it that you can trust these people in those positions to help well, you shape the club? Sean, you just you just mentioned the word there, absolute trust. You know, I could trust them with anything. Um, we were very, very strong. We, we were... Uh, as a, as a sort of a, as a three-man unit, as it were, really, really strong in it. We could have our own decisions about things or, 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 or conversations about things, but once we made our mind up then, I would trust John and Steve implicitly. They would, they would not be going behind my back and saying, well, I wouldn't have picked that team. Even if you'd been beaten in a game, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> they, were, they were strong. They had their, uh, Stevie was a Brilliant coach, really, really brilliant coach, uh, honestly. Laid back, you know, bit of a hyper contract in many aspects, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm ill, I'm ill, I'm always ill, I'm always ill. <laughs> yeah, when he's on the field, it was really, it's, it, it was a new man, absolutely new man. And he was, he was really terrific. And John, and John was just, John was just about as perfect as an assistant manager as you're going to get. I, I told him, John, I, I I shouldn't use the word aloof, but I kind of stayed, I kind of stayed a, a, a step back from the players as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Not not that I didn't interact, I did. I know it's strong interaction, but I really stepped back and allowed John and Steve to 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 enjoy the players as much, you know, and mm-hmm. and to enjoy the, not only their company but also their trust and their confidence. And I said, John, unless unless um, Henrik Larsson has committed robbery or something like this year. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't really tell me about don't tell me about uh, little things something serious if there's something it's some a family issue or something that gets here that they wanted me to talk about it's not a problem absolutely will do but little things and and slowly and surely the players gain not only they they had the trust of the two lads you know and they really 
I, it was it was very very strong. It was exactly what I wanted because John and John and Steve were great with the players as well too, um, and in the dressing rooms and on the field and things like this here. So they were really well loved, but not just loved because they were kind of good characters. They were really good at their jobs, and I think that the realization from the players was that they knew they knew what role that these boys would have. Sometimes, for instance, it, uh, when when Nottingham Forest had a, 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 a possibly the first, uh, well, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor were the first like that they like a sharing of a management team as a, as it were a manager and assistant manager. And sometimes Nottingham Forest board often wondered what Peter Taylor did. I think that that was incredibly disrespectful because Peter Taylor yeah. is it's not a realization of what you do. And uh, Peter Taylor was terrific for, for Brian Clough and actually, as a result, terrific for Nottingham Forest. So some board members at Nottingham Forest didn't realise that. That never occurred at Celtic, never occurred. The players knew, the board knew what the roles were and John and Steve's role were really important to me as, a, as they were to the, uh, to the players. Martin, I asked you about the, you, you sweep Ajax aside in your first uh, venture into the Champions League mm-hmm. and then you go into the group stages and you get nine points. And I know it still ups you to this day, the event of Samaroso penalty and all that, but I'll go back and say that the standard there was so high. You win all your home games, you get, you get nine points. Yet there's some teams qualify nowadays with like six and seven. You must look on and think, wow, what a level that Celtic played at that to get nine and still not go through. Absolutely, Tony. Really, really, that was... Uh, no. Um, the the you, you you've just mentioned Juventus game was really hurtful because that was our first foray into the Champions League. We should have played the previous week, but remember that was nine eleven, and, yeah. and we should maybe we might have started off with, with a we might have started off with a home victory, and then you can go to Juventus, you know, with uh, with mm-hmm. a, a bit more confidence. But we come from behind to 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 level the game at two two, and just I, I mean it's ridiculous. The, <laughs> Penalty was just shocking, and the point the point eventually is 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 the one that stops us from going yeah. into the knockout yeah. stages. Yeah. And you never know what these things. You never know, and then the knockout stages. Uh, uh, you, you, listen, it's on the evening, and we're as capable of doing it. The very fact that I know in two thousand and three we play a team in the UEFA Cup final that goes on to win the Champions League with virtually the yeah. same players the following year. That's the sort of standard you're talking about. Yeah. But I but. And obviously, the, the 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 game against Juventus at home, which has been just terrific, and we are we we're not to know this immediately, but we're only a couple of minutes away because there's a game. Uh, uh, Porto, I, I think, score a late goal in in uh, in their match, and uh, and and they go through in, in, instead of us, really, with the, with uh, with you know nine points not being good enough, you know, really. Considering that sort of standard, and considering it was our first time as as well, too, I, it was. And I suppose probably when I think about it, the sort of progress that we were making, because my my first European uh, foray into um, uh, into um, uh, obviously into Europe with Celtic was uh, a qualification game for the um, for the uh, uh, UEFA Cup. You know, it was Unisesh yeah. or something that gets here. So we, we, yeah, yeah. we played. Luxembourg. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's you know we're only talking about uh, we're only talking about a year on from that. So yes, so but do you know what? Tony? I, ne- I never felt that you know this idea. I don't think you will find me once, and I could be wrong here to get this totally wrong. But I don't think I, I ever went in with the excuse of saying, well, it's just our first time in uh, in mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in the Champions League, and we'll learn from these experiences. I just thought, no, let's let's go, let's go and compete because. I have a group of players that, on a given evening, are capable of winning these big games. That Celtic team competed with everybody at that stage, Martin, yeah. from 2000-2005 in Europe as well. I mean, they went absolutely. toe-to-toe with some real heavyweights, didn't absolutely. they? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. All, all the time. And uh, no, Listen, we, we got some... Uh, some results that you know that um, that really can hardly stomach you know at the end of it. But <laughs> overall, yeah, absolutely, we were we we were in. And even do you remember Tony the the, uh, the was it the next year where uh, Big Bobo Baldy handles the ball, yeah, the Leon. penalty box, yeah, in Leon. and Leon, and 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 that we would have gone through then, you know, yeah, that, you that's know, 
to each she come back from behind to, in that absolutely yeah. so we get that and he's been so, guilty of, I mean his hand absolutely. was in a kind of unnatural position wasn't it that's what they said anyway yes. that's a modern one there well, <laughs> yeah, but it was yeah. wasn't it you I mean they have been to toss about this today yeah we've almost handball you yeah. know well I must I must tell you a little funny story about that <laughs> Bo- Bobo Baldy handles the ball and, um, and, and concedes. Then he gets sent off in the UEFA Cup final. And so when I was doing a little bit of writing, my daughter, my daughter saw, saw where I was giving some, uh, some, a little bit of praise to Bobo Baldy. And she turns around and she says to me, Dad, why are you praising a man that stopped you from, from winning the UEFA Cup and stuff? <laughs> and stop you from qualifying for the knockout stages of the Champions League. And I thought, she's right, so I scored it out. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. <laughs> Can I ask you, Martin, you? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I didn't that. actually. But yeah. <laughs> you, you, you inherited Larson, but you signed Sutton and Hartson, mm-hmm. and everybody's a football manager, aren't they? Everybody. Yep. And they told you that those three players couldn't play in the same team. Mm. And you... Notoriously, just didn't listen to anybody because yeah. you know knew the game inside out, and you played them all, and you, you know the fruits <laughs> of your labour were there to be seen. Yeah. You know, are, are you are you like myself? You can't get enough good players in your team, and good players do what good players do. Mm. They turn up on big occasions, and okay, you well, know, okay, couldn't. well, there was there was, <laughs> excuse me, I had a number of thoughts about it. Larson and, and Larson and Sutton have been terrific together in the first season. However, anything that, you know, sometimes you get a little bit lucky so in, in the fact of, in, ter- in terms of injuries and players to uh, uh, players, your major players not getting injured. Um, and I, do, I cannot remember any of the two of them being out for any length of time at all in that first season. But, so you have time to compose yourself at the, at the, and you think, okay, if anything happens to any one of those, where's our goal power coming from? Really, where is it going to come from? And if we're going to try and make inroads into European football or if we're going to try and stay competitive, if we're going to try and retain the league, then you have to do something about it. So John Hartz and John had failed uh, some medicals at, at Rangers at the time. That really didn't bother me too much because he had played about 20 consecutive games for, for Coventry. And at the end of the day, you know, you can, you can, uh, you, a medical's there. If, if you want someone to pass the medical, you'll get it passed. And if you want someone to feel the medical, you'll get them to feel it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and uh, I just felt that, that, that John could come in. He's very, very strong. I'd seen a lot of them, obviously, down, down, down in England. And I thought he could do the job. Initially, I'd said to John, that is, John, your job is to try and break this partnership up. That's your job. You have to try and do that. And I think he was initially a wee bit concerned about it, you know, because Henrik had a big reputation and Chris was a really fine player. But what I did know is that Chris could play in a number of positions. He could go and play centre-half. Mm-hmm. Not as well as Chris says he does, you know. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, he, uh, but he could also drop into midfield and he could give you that extra goal power from midfield as well too, that you know that, you know, even in terms of set pieces that he would be coming in and, and he, his timing was, uh, was terrific. Just look at one of the goals he scores against Blackburn Rovers, but yeah. the, goal against, um, the goal against Juventus as well too. So, and I knew he could play in a number of positions. And if anything happened, any one of them, then you could you could you could yeah. uh, you really swap it around. As it turns out, Hartson came in, did exceptionally well, scored the goals, very very strong, and uh, I, I could roll players around in the penalty area. And uh, but you know, between the three of them, I, I knew that we would have goals if all three could play could play in the one team I, uh, or in the same side. Mm-hmm. I thought they could do it, but sometimes you know. It, if Chris hadn't been so adjustable, you know, then perhaps maybe maybe we might be thinking something else. Speaking of big players, obviously Larson, Sutton and Hartson there, but you also had Paul Lambert, Neil Lennon, Lubo Maravchik, Stan Petrov goes on. Um, well, we do want to talk about them too, but I'm wondering if there's a player or even a couple of players who you feel didn't or maybe still don't get the credit they deserve from your Celtic team. There's uh, a lot of big teams in there. Okay, right. Uh, Jackie McNamara for a start, yeah. and, and and the reason that Jackie doesn't is essentially essentially down down to me as much as anything else. And I really and in in the sense that that Jackie, Jack, I 
it took me a wee bit of time to realise just how good a player Jackie McNamara was. Really good player. Jackie could have played right back. He could play right side midfield. He could play centre midfield as well too without a, without a problem. Really. And, and you know that what you're going to get. From, and he was, I know he was a baby face fellow, but I tell you what, he was incredibly competitive. Really, really competitive. He would have put the shoe into you. No, no question. About it. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of reminds me. That's like an old Gaelic term they used to say back home. You know, oh, listen, you know, when the boys were coming out for a Sunday kickabout, let's uh, go on, let's beat these boys, let's stick the shoe into them rather than, <laughs> rather, rather than the boot. So that's like an old Irish phrase coming from my, from my Gaelic days. <laughs> so anyway, allow me to regress into that there for a moment. But um, so, Jackie, uh, yes, I would have said that, uh, you know, in terms of seeing, looking back now and seeing what, what a job he, he could do, do for us and sometimes... Uh, Jackie uh, step in and 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 ne- not letting you down suggest that oh, you did an okay job. Jackie was terrific, so he's he would be if I'm if I'm looking back on it now, and that's as much me to blame. Although I I do think in the dressing room that I give Jackie the credit he deserved, but maybe maybe sometimes he he deserved more. And uh, and I'm only now making up for it, you know, twenty odd years later. <laughs> In terms of the other players, I'll, I'll briefly go through them. Moravchuk, the best two-footed player I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. I wish it. I just wish. Well, I'll tell you what's a certainty, honestly, an absolute certainty. If he had been 27 rather than 33 or 34 when I first signed him, we would have won the UEFA Cup. He he would have been he would have been a blinding difference, and I know Henrik was magnificent in the final, and and he was a magnificent player. But but Moravchik can do something, a little bit of magic in and around the penalty area, in and out, turning people like. Mm-hmm. And if you only have to th- go back to see what the great Zinedine Zidane said about him as one of the terrific players, yeah. so Moravchik was Moravchik is was uh, again. Brilliant, brilliant player. And I have to tell to my eternal discredit, I tell, I told him in my early days uh, there at the football club, I said to him, uh, we had been hopeless against Leipzig uh, in a pre-season game in my, in the, after I'd only been there a couple of weeks. And Leipzig were not like in the Bundesliga. I think they were in the third division and somewhere like that there. So this little, this friendly game, we were hopeless. And I go in I, at the end of the game and I must say something to the players. You know, I mean, it wasn't good news. And um, and I said to Henry, or said, sorry, not to Henry, but to, uh, to uh, Lubo. I said, Lubo, you'll really have to run around a lot. Otherwise, you're not getting to this team. And Lubo looked up at me, and I think he said, although it, it, um, he may not have done, but I think he said, running? He said, that's not in my contract, you know. So <laughs> he said, just get me the ball. I'll deal with the ball. And my word, could he deal with the ball? Um, he was brilliant. Um, uh, Lennon was brilliant. Uh, I, I, think sometimes that, um, I, th- I think sometimes that Paul Lambert gets a wee bit overlooked very influential in the dressing room, very strong, uh, good character, really good character, wanted to play all the time. Um, uh, every single game was, was, if we'd ever got left out of a match, my word, he, 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 he reminded me of me getting left out of the team, you know, morning, like, oh. so nobody likes to get left out, but what a set of players, Didier Agat for 50,000 pounds, Jos Valgaren did brilliantly, Alan Thompson was great, you know. Yeah. And I think all of these players coming into the football club at the time they did, and I think that Henrik would have admitted this, you know, or did admit this, that these these give him give him more scope to get goals. When Alan Thompson got it, you know that if you drop the shoulder in, it's, it's, it's going to be a great delivery. You know it's coming in. And then Didier Gatt, you know that he's going to beat the player and then he's going to put something in on the run. So you, as a centre forward, you know when to start making your runs. Can I ask you, Martin, 2003, the UEFA Cup final, you've spoken about it a few times, but yeah. do you ever reconcile yourself with losing that match or is it something that just gnaws away at you? Oh, it's, it's, it's better over time or gets worse over time? No, it, it, well, it certainly <laughs> doesn't get any better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, I, it's, it's really hard to take, Tony. really, really hard yeah. to take. Um, considering the, the uh, considering obviously the importance of the game, 
uh, how it was played, how it was played out, um, and uh, against a side that were very, very good, but who, you know, who I, my own view was that, I, you know, everyone, every single football club can try and use little little tactics to their advantage. But I, honestly, for um, it was pitiful at times, you know, so, you know, the play acting was going on. And I have jokingly said that every single time they scored a goal, they ran off to Porto to celebrate. You know? <laughs> the, the, the referee was just incapable of dealing with it. Yeah. He was too young, he was too inexperienced, and he couldn't deal with the occasion. And uh, and they were allowed um, they were allowed to to overindulge, which is a shame really because there are a lot of good players as they proved the following year. So no, it doesn't. I, I was asked just the other evening, funnily enough, Tony, about I've never watched the game back in its entirety. I've seen a couple of little minutes of it here and there. And then I, I, I kind of half remember what's coming up the next and I just switch <laughs> off. So I don't know. And it's, uh, and it's just the yeah. same now, 20 odd years later, as it, um, as it was that, that particular day. And what's, what's yeah, even <laughs> kind of makes you feel worse rather than better is that when a lot of Celtic fans said that, you know, the journey was the journey that they had, yeah. not just yeah. to Seville, but the journey of the UEFA Cup. You know, the matches against Blackburn, the matches against Liverpool, and um, those games. So when they say that this was a journey of a lifetime, you would like to, you know, if you could slide it, if yeah. you, absolutely, if you could clinch, if you could clinch it for them, that would be great. I mean, that leads on to my next question: the the Anfield team talk, which I've heard different versions about, but. Basically, it's gone into folklore and it's gone into legend. But John Hartson, I spoke to John Hartson, did a big interview with him, and I'm going to say this to you and you can confirm or deny if it's true or not. But <laughs> this is what John Hartson said your team talk was, right? He says he, he told the starting 11 that night, look at the player next to you. Can you trust him? It was all that kind of stuff. He would say, John, look at Tomo. Tomo, look at Henrik. Henrik, look at Lenny. Look at the player sitting next to you. He'd dig you out of the shit, wouldn't he? He'll run for you. He'll do anything for you. Will you do the same for him? He said it was so inspiring. And after a team talk like that, he said, how could we lose? Well, strangely enough, Tom, I, I, yes, the, the players the players almost immediately after the game, a, a couple of the players came to me and said, they, oh, your, your talk beforehand was really good. So, but totally, honestly, you, you, to try and remember exactly <laughs> what, 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 you, what you said, in the whole proceedings, yeah. I, I'll I'll take it that that if it was inspiring to the players, that's really nice to hear. But honestly, I I, I genuinely don't know. Funnily enough, I met I, in in 2018, 2018, Yes, I was out in uh, covering some matches in in Russia for the World Cup, and um, I had a dinner with uh, Chris and uh, Chris Sutton and Henrik, and they were talking about it again. And honestly, <laughs> I could I could. I really could not remember too much of what they said. So perhaps maybe this is called age, Sean. It will catch up with you. It will catch up with you at one time. I know you have a long way to go, but it will catch up with you. Well, touch wood anyway. Yes. So, yeah. Um, Well, I suppose just to round off the Celtic uh, managerial part of it, I suppose you've kind of touched on your attitude towards kind of disappointments for part in 2005. Is that the kind of thing that still up to you as well? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah you know, you, you you talked earlier about the treble, and the treble is great and it's fantastic. But the things that keep you awake at night, and and that many a night, and I'm not just saying this just for for effect, but really it is the UEFA Cup final and uh, and uh, Motherwell. You know, absolutely. Yeah, those two, those two that really stand out moments where we should have uh, we should have been able to. Have, uh, there should have been two more trophies in, on, the, on the board, really, you know. Um, your life after Celtic led you to other historic clubs, Aston Villa, Sunderland, back to Forest. You also managed in the Republic Island national team. How did managing teams that maybe measure success a bit differently in terms of trophy expectations again compare after your time at Celtic? Right, OK, well... Um... I would not. I wouldn't have left Celtic on uh, obviously my um, yeah. uh, through my wife's illness at the time. Mm-hmm. So, but in many as in many aspects, um, you know, I would have stayed on, and finally mm-hmm. Celtic would have got rid of me. 
There's no, you know, that, that, that's the nature of the game. Yeah. As, as Brian Clough once said to all of us aspiring managers, as Wozley said, the only inevitability about this job is you'll get the sack. So, uh, <laughs> and at that time he was saying it, he was the most unsackable manager in, in Europe. <clears throat> so I think that, um, I think that um, I came back into football again and managed Aston Villa, but Aston Villa had won the European Cup, Sean, you know, so yeah. they did that in 1982. And then everything gets judged from that, you know. It's a wee bit like it's a bit like my time at Leicester City. We had a really fine side. We won two uh, after, as I mentioned earlier, really wretched start. Turned that round. Then we we finished in the top ten for four consecutive years in the Premier League, and then we won two trophies and we were in a third third final. And all of that's great. And so that was the measurement. Then suddenly along comes Ranieri in 2015-2016, go and win the league. So Leicester City now are being judged by that. So Aston Villa in many aspects, although a very, very famous old club in England, are being judged really by, by 1982 standards, you know. Mm. And then, but So we finished in the top six for three consecutive wow. years, which I think, in all honesty, that uh, that Aston Villa fans would definitely take now at the moment, you know. So it's it's mm-hmm. been uh, it's been a bit of a struggle. So managing Aston Villa was uh, they've got the history behind them. I went I and I I really enjoyed that, you know, to to go to Sunderland, which was my obviously Celtic. Yeah. And if you're born in Northern Ireland, you're Catholic or Protestant, Celtic or Rangers essentially. And really, but if you've an English team, it was Sunderland growing up as a as a boy. So to come then and manage them, which was something that I really wanted to do, and I knew the I knew the odds really are, are, are strongly stacked against you because Sunderland didn't have the wherewithal, didn't have the the financial clout to compete, mm-hmm. but still, you know, you're and and we got a lot of early good results, which led the the owner to start believing that you know we didn't need a player to come into the football club, you know. And when you're starting, when you're when you're first signing someone who's actually retired, and is sitting is lying on a beach in uh, and and bringing out of retirement because you at this minute you don't have the players, then you realise it's 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 going to be a bit of a struggle. But but um, but really, I then I, I I go and manage the Republic of Ireland, and that was honestly that was really terrific to qualify for the for the um, for the uh, European Championships in France and the journey that we had and beating Germany along the way and mm-hmm. then then Italy in France all of that was really fine really fine um, and then to come back into club management and get 19 games at a team that you spent you spent I, I I was as a player I was there for 10 years at Nottingham Forest enjoyed the success yeah. and I was there for 19 games the last three of which we won so if I'd been told I was going to get 19 games I wouldn't have bothered you know <laughs> I wouldn't have but um, so all of all of those as you to answer your question Sean is all of those have their differences expectation you're dead right totally different you know that any time that you come to Celtic mm-hmm. as a manager or as a player that you've got to win. You've got to win. There's no such thing as finishing second best. And that, and, and it's a, a great attitude to have. It's something that I tried to instill into the other clubs, regardless of what history they did or didn't have, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it takes a wee bit of time to build these things together. And something sometimes time is not always on the manager's side. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Speaking of Nottingham Forest, Martin, is there anything we don't know about Brian Clough? <laughs> um, well, not no, nothing. No, no, I, I'm sure that you've picked up biographies about him and, and Tony, and most of it, some, some of it is written by people who had never met him. No, never, never mind <laughs> yeah. anything else. So I feel as if I'm in a position because I was actually in the dressing room, usually, yeah. usually getting, uh, usually getting the, uh, the, what shall I say, the... Um, the wrong end of a rolligan, you know. So, <laughs> the hairdryer treatment. They, yeah. Absolutely, you know. Sir Alex Ferguson wouldn't have been in it by uh, by, uh, <laughs> by Brian by Brian Clough standards, you know. But uh, here's an interesting thing today. I'm not so sure that um, younger players could take uh, that yeah. that sort of treatment now. And I'll tell you why I think it is because the whole landscape has changed. In my day, in my day playing. 
players had no power whatsoever, no power, none at all, absolutely none. The very, very few players had agents, only like Peter Shilton at our football club had one, I think Kevin Keegan had an agent, but very, very few players had agents. So you negotiated your own deal and whatever the manager was giving you, that was it. But now it's completely changed. And I think it's gone too far the other way. Players, players and agents now are almost in total control. And, and as a consequence, if you have an argument with the manager you'll, and the manager leaves you out for a game or two, I think you just sit back, halfway with a cigarette and say, well, he'll be gone. He'll be gone soon, you know, and I'll be, I'll be back again, you know. So, but that applies to a lot of players, I think, in today's, in today's, um, in the current game. What I am saying is if, a, if you're a great player in any era, you will be a great player, you know, and they still have the attitude to be great players. So it doesn't apply to everyone. Um, Tony asking you about Brian Clough, but also you yeah. mentioned player power and stuff there. Um, it kind of opens the door for me to ask you a few things about when you were a player. Um, we've spent a lot of time on Celtic, obviously, understandably, but also football in general. But from your book, and you, you, you referenced a phrase from it earlier on, but it seemed to me from your book that um, Gaelic was your first sort of love sports-wise, watching mm. your brother get to the All-Ireland final with Derry, yep. then playing it yourself for years. Is that fair to say? And, and how did it inform the kind of player that you were? Because I know the likes of Neil Lennon have, and more have also spoken about how playing Gaelic helped shape them athletically it, it, and culturally. It, it, and Absolutely. In, in every aspect, yes. I grew up in a, in a, in a very, very, very strong Gaelic household. Um, not my two brothers, older brothers, um, played for played for the town, right? But played for Derry. We're good enough to play yeah. for Derry County, Derry. Especially my brother getting to the All Ireland final, and me as a six year old traveling with my mother to the game. So it's it's absolutely it's it's there. It's it's uh, it's riven into you in many aspects. And then so obviously I wanted to try and be as good as my brother for a start. And then when I found out that I actually was pretty decent as a, as a Gaelic player, both at minor level and um, playing for colleges, St. Malachy's College, St. Columns College earlier than that there, and then playing for Derry Miners, got to two uh, uh, All-Ireland final. We got beaten by Cork in one of the finals, and then we got beaten by Kerry in the semi-final the next year. So I really loved Gaelic football, really loved it. But, but it was an amateur sport. And I suppose I thought, well... There's an opportunity to come in and if I can be good enough to play soccer for a living, then that's probably really what I wanted to do. But in terms of Gaelic, absolutely loved it. Loved every minute of it. Martin, you were also the first Catholic captain on Northern Ireland, the, the national team. But you were also, as far as, I'm, as, far as I, I know, the first manager of the Republic born in the North too, I believe. And mm -hmm. that's two very particular pieces of history and a career that's already mm -hmm. filled with remarkable achievements as it is. But... Can you tell me a bit more about those responsibilities, those respective responsibilities, and what they meant to you? Okay, well, take take the take the first one. Yeah, to be the yeah. first Catholic, um, the first Catholic captain of the side. Now, the manager at the time was a man called Billy Bingham, who eventually was very successful. He had he had managed uh, the Northern Ireland uh, a couple of years earlier than that there, and then gets the job again, and um, takes over about nineteen eighty, beginning of nineteen eighty, and uh, and. I called me, I had a meeting with him one day and he said, I'd like you to be the captain of the team. And I think really, Sean, I think it was as much to do with the fact is that he felt I was a, a decent enough communicator, but I also had lots of experience in European football as well to having with playing with Nottingham Forest. And um, so I think he felt those things there would stand me in good stead. Obviously a problem because um, I'm a Catholic, it'll be the first time. But he did say, listen, I'll, I'll probably, meaning he, will probably take a little bit of flack for it. He said, you might do yourself. But he's, if we can win the games, he said, that will, that will disappear. And he was pretty confident that would happen. And, and really, uh, his words proved prophetic at the end because he, uh, it, we did start to win football matches. We qualified for the World Cup in 1982. And, those, and in, uh, I'm not saying because sectarian sectarianism was still rife at that time in Northern Ireland. I'm not saying that it went away, but it certainly disappeared for, for and then fast forward. So obviously I, I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed being the captain of that of that of that team, particularly our, our great night in Valencia when we beat Spain to qualify for the uh, the World Cup quarterfinals. Can you believe it? Northern <laughs> Ireland in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. 
and um, and then fast forward a number of years where I'm from Northern Ireland, I, be, I become the um, I become the manager of the Republic. No, I didn't. I never felt that 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 I didn't think. I certainly didn't think early on, John, that that was a really a big change because remember, I had managed Celtic at the time, and there was still a big contingent of Celtic fans who would be the Republic of Ireland fans as well too, and I think that I don't think that I ever really had too many problems with the um, with uh, with the fans at all. I, I think that was always taken. I just kind of felt, and I've mentioned this in the book, and I did feel as if I was a bit of an outsider. More from the more from the Irish press were mm. sort of Dublin based, you know. So yeah. I, uh, in in some aspect or another, but that might just have been that might have been as my personality. Just actually, they just took a dislike to you, and and uh, and, it, and it never it never really uh, it never really mended itself, you know. Mm. So th- th- those those are my thoughts. But in terms of yeah, uh, in terms of privileges. Privilege managing the Republic of Ireland, particularly with the, the with the Euros qualifying for Euros and the manner in which we did, and then we got beaten. We 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 went to the uh, to the World Cup. We got through to the playoff playoff in the World Cup with Denmark. Denmark we drew in we drew in Denmark. We got well and truly beaten at and and uh, at the Aviva Stadium trying to chase the game. We had to win that night. We took the lead. We're two one down at half time. I make some changes in the second half because I need some more creativity in the team. But I knew with uh, the substitutions that I made that we would weaken the team physically, really weaken it with McGeady coming on and Wes Houlihan coming on. But we needed to score a couple of more goals. And with the present team, we we would, unless it was a set piece, we wouldn't have had enough creativity. Yeah. Anyway, as it turns out, Eric Erickson scores a hat-trick in the game and we're, we're hammered. And then... Um, and the first interview I'm done afterwards is that I'm basically asked, "Is this a sackable offence?" You know, it was the it was the playoff for the World Cup, and had we have won that <laughs> night, had we have won that night, we would have been in we would have been in Russia. Mm. But it was according to the um, according to the um, the first reporter I'd done, and it was and it was uh, and I, uh, um, it was a, a theme. Added to in in the um, in the in the written press after that, there was this a sackable offence, and I thought, well, well, I kind of felt as if it was being stored up for me, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and you're waiting your turn as you used to, Tony, way back years ago. Yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'm going to ask you about Tony. Valencia '82, Martin. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm nine going on ten, but I remember jumping around. Yeah, you don't look like that. Oh, man. Don't, yeah. you look a bit Northern older Ireland, than that, no? But Northern Ireland winning and just that, the whole, the match that night, I mean, Northern Ireland were under siege. Maldonado could get sent off. Mm-hmm. But I just remember the goal was clear as day. Uh, Jerry Armstrong sprinting away, Arcanada punching it out to uh-huh. uh, Billy Hamilton and bang. No, Jerry Armstrong, sorry, Billy Hamilton. Yeah, uh-huh. Jerry You're Armstrong's yeah. And just... I mean, it must have been absolutely sensational to knock out the hosts, you know, and get through to, as you say, Northern Ireland, the World Cup quarterfinal. Astonishing feat. Well, let me tell you, it was obviously an astonishing feat and it was not, and it was not expected. And I'll tell you yeah. who didn't, I'll tell you who didn't expect it. The Irish FA, uh, they didn't <laughs> expect it because they, they had booked a flight for us the next day back home. <laughs> Back home, and so, and when when we won in Valencia, I thought I'd just have a bit of fun here with this. We get back to the hotel, it must be at three o'clock in the morning. Back to the hotel in Valencia, <laughs> and Billy Bingham calls us, and Billy Bingham, when the manager calls us and tells us, you know, um, we've got a bit of bad news for you. What's that, Billy? How can you have any bad news tonight? Has someone died or something? I guess you know. And he said, no. He said the Irish FA did not think that we would qualify, so we booked the flights back to London tomorrow so but we're going to madrid tomorrow because we've got the two said the two quarterfinals yeah i know we're trying to organize a flight <laughs> so that might tell you how unexpected it was when uh, when you're when you're um when your own board don't think you're going to make it so um anyway but who cared it didn't really matter we got some we got some hotel we got some uh, you know, flea-ridden hotel, I think, in, 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 in Madrid. But who cared? It didn't matter. We were in the quarterfinals of the of the World Cup. But that night, absolutely, Tony, it was just, it was really terrific. Um, and, you know, Spain, Spain uh, needing the result themselves or, and um, 
coming at us most of the time. Yeah, we were we were quite strong defensively. Yeah, we if we could get in front, we knew that we were very durable. We had strong players, strong-minded players as well too, which was great. Armstrong's goal, which Jerry has talked about every single day for. for <laughs> Now that's 40 years ago. And so if you can imagine, Tony, can you imagine what it's like phoning Jerry Armstrong every single day for 40 years, for 365 <laughs> days a year, doesn't even give it a break. He doesn't even give it a break in leap year. And now, and, and the goal, the goal, Jerry starts off brilliantly, does the run and makes the run, plays the ball out to Billy Hamilton. Billy evades his player, whoops it in and Jerry scores from the knockback by Arcanada, the goalkeeper. But now, even though we have it on YouTube and you can see the goal, Jerry's version of it has changed dramatically now. <laughs> Jerry has Jerry has Pat Jennings rolling the ball out to him in the edge of his own penalty box, <laughs> dribbling past three Spanish players immediately before even thinking about putting it out wide. No, no. <laughs> I, I am joking to a certain extent. He, he does love talking about it, but he was brilliant in the competition. He was absolutely brilliant and he was... Uh, he was our tour de force. He, he really wouldn't was. want to play in Spain because of that, didn't he, yeah. largely? Pardon? He did, absolutely. Yes, he, he did. Play, didn't he? Yeah. he did. He yeah. went to Mallorca. Real Mallorca, I think, yeah. Yeah, Mallorca, absolutely. Mm. And then as a consequence of all of that, then does a lot of, uh, you know, when, when yeah. Spanish, 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 football, yeah, yeah. Spanish yeah. football was covered. Yeah. Absolutely right, you know. So, yeah. Um, right. this, is, this one's going to come out of left field a wee bit just before no we problem. finish, but... You mentioned in the book that you became quite superstitious as a player. Left sock first, then right sock, that kind of thing. Yes. Did you have, yeah. any, did you have any pre-game or post-game superstitions when you became a manager? Yeah, it, it used to be uh, it used to be like st- staying in hotels and things like this year. If you, could, if you didn't get the result at the hotel, then, um, then sometimes you would change the <laughs> hotel, even though you might like it. And um, I have joked and said that, um, that we went through such a bad patch that by the time that... Uh, by the, by the time that I was managing at Leicester City, uh, the nearest hotel we had was London because we were, we'd used up all we'd used up all of the hotels for 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 defeats. But it's not 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 strictly true. Um, yeah, I I thought as a manager, yeah, there, there were certain things that you felt as if can you can you repeat almost almost everything that had happened, let's say the previous week when you did a great result. And when it and when it didn't go well, then you start to think, well, it, it can't possibly be superstition. And then you forget it for you forget about it for a week. And then three weeks later you go back to your superstitions again. <laughs> you know? And it's, 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 the word for it is a craziness. <laughs> uh, just to finish up, Martin, because we have we've taken up a lot okay. more of your time, I think, than you expected. But um, John Robertson told us during a big interview for the website that there is no substitute for playing football. But those five years he had at Parkhead were his favourite of all time in terms of a coaching sense. Mm-hmm. But I want to know where you stand on it: Martin O'Neill, the player, or Martin O'Neill, the manager? Which did you enjoy I, more? Yeah. Right. Do you okay. enjoy more because you've not retired yeah. officially? I, so. I think I think playing is what it's all about. Really, yeah. you know, when you start off and when you start off in football, you don't start thinking at fourteen or fifteen you want to be a manager unless you're off your rocker. Uh, but you want to be a player and you want to win competitions and you want to you want to be successful as a footballer. And 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 it's the camaraderie with the players. It's the dressing room. It's all those. It's the scoring of goals. It's the saving of goals. It's everything about playing. And if Messi, for instance, if Messi ends up being a world class manager, I'm sure that when he is 60 years of age and he will say that, you know, scoring at Barcelona would be the most fantastic thing in the world. So um, but. But interestingly, when you become a manager, now you, your playing days are gone. You, you, you're not going to replicate those days. They're, they're gone forever. You get a different sense of, of you get different, uh, uh, you know, you're building a team. And when that team is successful, then you do feel as if that you, you, you have, you have molded that team together. You know, you've put your, you've put your thoughts, you put your ideas and you put your motivation into that side. So it's a different sort of uh, feeling that you get from it. I, it. It is, it is different. Eventually, if you, if you put them together, there's probably really not that much difference. What it is, there is, there is something there about managing a team, particularly if you've won something 
and and at the end of the day that you felt as if you, well you have actually inspired these players to 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 win it. I think that's where you get your. I think that's where you get your um, your um, you know good vibes from. If yeah. that's the, if that's the case, that, that and that's the way I'd probably look at it. So it wouldn't really. It wouldn't be that far removed from what John Robertson was saying, and yeah. those those years at Celtic were well. Let me put it this way: my I've I've got a I've got a mad Irish wife who doesn't like any place on this earth, you know, who will still find fault if she goes to heaven, you know. It's honestly, <laughs> she loved Glasgow absolutely. It's her favorite place. It's her favorite place. She absolutely loved it. Loved the place. And loved her time at Celtic, and I've got a, I've got two daughters, one of which has got a grandchild. There, sorry, my grandchild at this moment, and I believe that Alana, my daughter now, is probably even more in love with Celtic now than she ever was when <laughs> I was there. So that tells you everything. That says it all, doesn't it? Really, it says it all, you know. Anyway, ladies listen, and gentlemen, Lance, it was great. Thank you very much indeed. Oh. <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Matt O'Neill's book on days like these is available to buy online and at all good bookstores now. And I'm sure you'll agree that that's, it'll be a magnificent read if this podcast is anything to go by. It's been an absolute honour, pleasure and a privilege to speak to Martin O'Neill and the Celtic when they sit down. Yeah, and I think you'll all yeah. you'll join me in saying that Celtic fans owe John Robertson, Steve Walford and Martin O'Neill a tremendous debt of gratitude for steering Celtic to one of their greatest eras in modern day history. This man did everything in his power to bring some success to the football club. He did that and then some. Martin O'Neill Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you, Sean. Really appreciate it. Thank you.